The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, once again, I want to welcome you guys to Temple Bible Church. We're looking at the book of John as we wrap up our Advent series. We're looking at John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. As we uh, get ready, as you turn in your Bibles, uh, during our prayer time, one of the things I mentioned is that God's Spirit would open up opportunities uh, to speak truth. And I saw some friends of mine walk in here, and uh, I met with one of them this week uh, about some opportunities that they're going to have. And so the Stroms are down here. I just noticed them walking in. I know they're looking around like, what are you, why are you calling me out here? They, uh, they and uh, Terry's mom also run a, a ministry that we support called Discipleship Unlimited, and it goes into uh, the women's prisons uh, out in Gatesville. And one of the things he told me is Christmas Day, he's going to be in death row. And so he's going to be having an opportunity to speak to women who are facing imminent death and have the opportunity to speak truth. So what I want to do is I want to pray if I can make it through it. I'd like to pray for you guys. God, as we mentioned during prayer, uh, there's people going through difficulty. And obviously this is the greatest difficulty someone could face. God, we want to praise you for the Strom family who's built such great relationships in the prisons and systems there, Lord, that oftentimes bring people down. Lord, you've brought a light to that environment. So I pray specifically that your light will shine bright as it always does through this family, especially on Christmas Day. For these women who are facing death, Lord, that they will find life in you. That they will understand that the word became flesh, as we're going to talk about today, to give them new life, to give them hope for a future. I pray your blessing on them today. In your name we pray, amen. All right, my eyes started watering for a second. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 14 through 18 is a powerful passage that lists Jesus as the final word, the final word that we see. And in verse 14, we actually see it mentioned kind of going back to verse 13. It's born of the will of God, the fact that when he was born, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's look at verse 14 and kind of read through these verses here. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So the burden of this passage is to identify the word, 
capital W, explicitly with Jesus. So we're going to look at four different actions that love took throughout history for us to see that he came to us as the final word. The first one is that love became flesh. Eternity stepped into time as we know it. Eternity came in and lived on this planet, lived on this earth. So instead of using the Greek word for man or body here, John was inspired to use the word for flesh. So why would he do that? Why, what is the point of not using man or body? What well, helps us relate the fact that the powerful word of God was born into frail humanity. That he came into this frail body, this body of flesh, and as you get older, it marks up more than it used to, right? I got a friend of mine I played basketball with. He still plays basketball. He's like 80 years old, and he, he had to wear, start wearing sleeves, because uh, not because he wanted to look cool, but because his skin turns to purple when people foul him. And so we have this flesh that continues to go downhill as we get older, right? And Jesus took on this flesh, this humanity, this personhood, this full humanness here in verse 14. John takes chapter one, verse one, which says, in the beginning, right, was the word. He takes it a step further by stating that this word from the beginning became flesh and blood. He didn't just exist from the beginning, but he actually came in human form. We see his flesh getting tired. We see his flesh eating, getting hungry. We see his flesh being tempted. We see all these different things. He's in agony in the garden. He cried real tears. He needed rest, and he went into the wilderness. So this is flesh and blood, human experience, right? John 1, uh, 1 John 1.1 1, 1 illustrates his physical nature. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. They hugged him. Maybe they slapped him five. I don't know if he did that back then, but maybe they did. Maybe each disciple had a secret handshake. I don't know. Would have been cool to see, though. But he's physical. He was with us, it says. One Bible commentary shows two groups of thinkers that John was addressing. First, the Greeks, they generally thought of God as too low. To ancient people there, gods were like Zeus and Hermes. They were more like supermen. They had limitations, but they had certain powers. So they thought of God as too low. So John told the Greek thinkers, the logos you know made and ordered the universe. And he actually became flesh. But the Jews, the other group of thinkers, they thought of God as too high, as not really being able to come down and exist with us humans, right? With us lowly people, he was up here, unapproachable. Ancient Jews, they had difficulty accepting this son in the flesh that he would take on human form. And so John says to them, the word of God became flesh. I love this statement here and the fact that he dwelt among us. Literally in Greek, it means that he tabernacled, he made his home, he set up shop, he came in and made a home with us. 
Author Merrill Tenney puts it this way, Christ entered into a new dimension of existence through the gateway of human birth and took up his residence among men. See, those you love, you want to be around. And God loved us. We'll look at that more and more throughout our time together. And because God loves us, he wants to be with us. And so he sent his son in human form to be with us. Not only just his son, but his only son is mentioned in verse 14. Literally, this means in the Greek language, a unique one. Now, some of us who are sports fans, we get into arguments about who is the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. You can have uh, Messi and Ronaldo. Uh, You can have uh, Jordan and LeBron. You can have uh, Brady and all the other quarterbacks that came along, right? Who's the GOAT? You could do it in music or acting, whatever it is. You can argue back and forth who's the GOAT. But the only, the one and only unique one The one and only greatest of all time is obviously Jesus. How is he unique? Number one, he had a human and divine father. Number two, he was a one of a kind sacrifice. John 3, 16, God so loved the world. He gave his only one of a kind, there's that word again, only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Number three, not only was he the sacrifice, the only one-of-a-kind sacrifice, but he's also the only way to the Father. We see that found in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he was one person, but two natures. So the eternal uh, divine word who is to be identified with Jesus Christ, he became flesh. He was 100% of both. Sounds impossible, but it happened. See, we have two key characteristics being played out here at the end of verse 14. Love played out in grace and love played out in truth. So let's make this personal here. For those of you that are parents, uh, maybe grandparents, you think about uh, the grace that you've given your kids over the years. I mean, honestly, if you have kids like mine, you could be on them nonstop, right? You gotta remind yourself, okay, I've been on them enough, I gotta give them a break today because some of them are just nuts, right? And so they get, they get up under your skin and they do things, and man, uh, man, it tests my patience. And I'm usually a laid back dude, but sometimes these kids, you know, they, get, they work it, right? And I know, and I'm getting paid back because I did it to my mom and dad. But for us, we think about grace, and oftentimes I have a limit on my grace. I'm like, up until this point, then I start yelling, right? I mean, I think I've been pretty reasonable here. But then my grace reaches its limit, and I'm done. And I have to apologize and confess later, Right? Yeah, I I see you, Riley. He knows what it's like. He's like, man, I did that to my dad all the time. Uh, But yeah, you got to apologize later, right? This grace reaches its limit. But here it says full. The idea of full, never ending. It's full. It's literally the idea of this language is overflowing, this grace. So it's not like a human father who has limitations here with the grace meter, But Jesus, it's a fountain, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. It's complete, born out of his love for us, the church. Not only is that graceful, but love is also played out through the truth. 
Again, we see a fullness concept here. Jesus is the fulfillment of all truth found in God's word. Not truth, what we think should be truth. It's very important to point out that this truth found in God's word, you can rip pages out of this Bible, but it's not gonna change the fact that God's word is truth. And you trying to take some away and you trying to fit it into your lifestyle or what you wanna be, doesn't matter, it's still truth right here. And Jesus Christ is the truth, and he is the word, and he's full and overflowing. Maybe you can imagine with me the idea that uh, my wife and I, we meet you and we get to know you a little bit, and we're like, hey, we gotta have you over for dinner. And I start talking because, you know, that's just what I do is I like to talk and fill in a lot of details that don't even need to be mentioned, but that's just what you do in the Northeast, you just talk. And so here I am talking to you guys and I'm like, hey, you got to come over to dinner. We're going to have you over. I'm going to cook some food. We're going to have some mac and cheese. And I start bragging about my mac and cheese game. You know, it's like, it's so good. It's like a beat Bobby Flay episode, like Bobby Flay doesn't stand a chance. Right? And I talk it up, and you're coming to the house like, oh man, mouse water, I'm walking up this sidewalk, right? And you come into the house, and I bring you into the kitchen, and this is what you see. <clears throat> On one side of the kitchen counter is a bowl of, of plain hot noodles steaming. And then the other side of the counter is a bowl of grated cheese. And you look at me and start laughing, like, what? This is your mac and cheese game? Really? This is what you have to present? All this? I was looking forward to it. My mouth's watering. You're doing all this stuff, you know, talking it up. And you might be polite, but then some of you might not be so polite. And be like, look, these aren't skills right here. <laughs> What's the point of this story besides making you more hungry like I am right now? What's the point of the story of mac and cheese? Well, this is how Jesus, not literally, metaphorically, describes the essence of who he is. He's not sometimes this and sometimes that, not a bowl of hot noodles over here and some grated cheese over here. He's not three quarters of one thing and a quarter of this at times. He is full of grace and truth. He is overflowing in grace and truth. And so it's not just part this, part that, wherever he can be, this or that, and he leaves some of the other behind. It's all a combination of grace and truth. All the things that us parents want to be, but we just don't do it. This is who he is. He's full. Grace and truth, they go hand in hand to show us what real lasting love looks like. So not only did he become flesh, but he also, love, had a witness. The witness's name was John the Baptist, and we'll just look at it briefly here in verse 15. John bore witness about him, cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now you think about this. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with pride. I don't know. I can explain a lot of reasons for it, you know, because we do that with our sin. Youngest of four kids trying to make up for, you know, what's lacking or really be better than my brother or others around me and see people come before me. And so I can do that. Oh, yeah, I can do that, too. I can handle this. Oh, yeah, I'm good. And so pride often swells up in me. And I don't know about you, but God has blessed me with people in my life to kind of check my pride here and there, right? 
to help me see I'm not all my mind thinks I am. And one of those people, those key people in my life is my daughter, Kendall. And Kendall, as you can see, wearing the great throwback Reggie White jersey, just her face right there is like, come at me. It looks like she grew up in Philadelphia, you know? And she's intense, right? And, she, and she's quiet on the surface. You see her out here. She's not going to be talking to you much because she wait to get to know you. So she's not like that, just out in the open. But here, comfortable, watch out. And so I love that about her, but it's also a little scary because she'll say things that are really honest and it's difficult to hear. Uh, around this time, she was like eight or so, and this time, uh, I said to her one night on a Friday night, I said, hey, I'm running a 5K tomorrow. Without missing a beat, she says, you're going to lose. The confidence in your dad is overwhelming. Thanks. But she don't even just keep me in check. She did something, Candace, I think I shared it from the stage before, but it's so funny, I got to share it again. She, uh, Candace is talking her in one night. She's like, you'll, all, you'll be my, you're, you're my sweet baby girl. And Kendall's like, again, this age, I'm not a baby. I'm not your baby girl. And Candace is like, well, you'll always be my sweet baby girl, even when you're old. And she goes, well, you're old, or when I'm old, you'll be dead. <laughs> and then she goes, can I have waffles tomorrow? And it's just like, okay, well, thanks for Kendall being around. So we often have people that keep us in check, and John the Baptist didn't need that, is what I'm saying. Look at John the Baptist in further in chapter 1, verse 27, as Jesus approached, he says, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He's like, I can't even stoop down to reach this dirty foot and strap his sandal. That's how amazing Jesus is. And he goes on in verse 29 to exclaim, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How many of us have that kind of humble witness of Jesus? Instead, we're more known for our complaints. Instead, we're more known for questioning Jesus all the time. Why does my life go this way? Why am I in such a horrible situation? Why are the people around me so evil? Why is it so difficult to live in this world? And we continue to question. And I'm not saying questions are wrong. You look at David in the Psalms, questions are everywhere. But oftentimes it's how we ask the question that maybe shows what we really believe, whether we're humble or prideful. And John, obviously, was this witness who was humble and was the forerunner for Jesus. So love became flesh. Love had a witness, and then love fulfilled the law in verse 16 and 17. He says, we've all received grace upon grace. R. Kent Hughes states, grace is God's love coming to sinners. It's God's ultimate love communicated to us in Christ. Christ overflows with grace. So it's this overflow, this fountain idea. You've already probably heard many different times if you heard me speak, I got a weird imagination. Maybe some of you do too and can relate to me. But I, I think of things, and some of the things I think of is like, where did that come from? I'm not sure what's happening right now. I should be focused on what's happening. And especially in elementary school. 
Like I remember just sitting there and just going way, way off down the road somewhere else. And my teacher's like doing the Charlie Brown parent thing, you know, and all I hear is wah, wah, you know, and that, and I'm just out there. And I remember very distinctly a daydream I had and a, a continual one because it was really cool. Uh, and, and so I, I kind of built on it over time. And so I'm sitting there in class and I'm like, all right, I got this fort, this custom fort, and it's got wings on it, and I can fly and go see my friends. And not only did this thing uh, have uh, wings and I could fly, but there was an oven in it and like a stovetop, and I can make grilled cheese because it was my favorite thing to eat for lunch. Not, I mean, it was my imagination. Couldn't I just make the grilled cheese appear? No, it had to have an oven. So I had an oven in there, and not only did I have an oven, I had to have something to drink, and so I had a water fountain. But I'm in school, so the fountain connected there in one of those push fountains, but it wasn't like that water, you know, that water with especially old schools where it like, tastes like metal when you first hit the button, that water. No, it was like Kool-Aid. It was like Kool-Aid coming out of the fountain. And so here I am just imagining this. I'm flying around, making my grilled cheese, drinking my Kool-Aid fountain. And so, man, I'm focused on food a lot today. I don't know what's going on. But what's interesting is oftentimes with this idea of a fountain, that Kool-Aid fountain eventually will run out, right? That fountain in the old school is going to break and, you, and you, you go back to it and it's not producing water anymore. And instead, when we look here, this idea of being full is a fountain that never runs dry. It just continues to flow. And so we have this grace that just flows and flows and flows. And you see here, the holidays can be a beautiful time. It can be a great time with family and friends, but they often leave us feeling depressed, lonely, maybe in debt, possibly. Kind of down time with family might have been disappointing. Maybe you didn't gift get the gifts you were really wanting, you know, that, that those pair of socks didn't quite cut it or, or that mom robe that you receive every year didn't quite work out for you, right? And so you're a little disappointed. Maybe the turkey was dry or there's all these unfilled expectations, unfulfilled expectations. Now, some of you are like, well, that's why you keep your expectations low, right? You optimists don't have it right. Just keep them low, and then you're good. There's nothing unfulfilled, because you didn't have any. Well, I don't know if that's really the route to go. But could it be that our expectations are unfulfilled because we're looking for ultimate fulfillment in broken systems or people? Could it be that, that we are an intensely thirsty people, but we continue to go back to a well that we found was dry already 20 or so times before, but yet we continue to go back to that same dried up well and think this time it's gonna give me some good stuff. And these expectations we have when we approach Christmas, when we approach the new year, are often found in the wrong thing whether it's sports or whether it's success in our own kids, improvement in a relationship, whatever it is, all these things are good things to strive for. But if we're trying to find fulfillment in them, they will leave us empty, empty, empty. 
What are we looking for? This fountain that never runs dry. It's interesting how God weaves things together in your story and in your day that you really don't expect to see coming. As I prepare for this talk, uh, we've started, Owen and I started, my youngest, he's nine, we started a comic Bible, and it's just really for him to, for him to really get into it. It's awesome. I rec- highly recommend it to you guys with young kids. And we read oftentimes at night before he goes to bed. And literally on Thursday, as I'm preparing for this talk, on Thursday, we're in the Gospels, and what comes up? The woman at the well. If you know that story, there is no better story to throw in here. It is tailor-made for this right here, this outline, the fact that that woman met Jesus, Jesus was looking for something to drink, and then he turned the conversation into living water, water that never runs dry. John 4, 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up eternal, to eternal life. Those springs, they don't run dry. They continue to flow and you're wondering where it's coming from when you see this thing coming out of a rock and it just continues to flow. I implore you today to drink of the fountain that never runs dry. Jesus Christ, all the things you're focused on that you think will bring fulfillment, you think will quench your thirst. They may quench it for five, 10 minutes, maybe for weeks, maybe even for a year, but it will be, it'll leave you wanting more. It'll leave your mouth parched. The world has nothing for us. It's Jesus. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. It's kind of interesting this repetition, right? When we see repetition in scripture, it's important for us to ask, hey, why are they repeating themselves? Again, make it personal. And I'm talking to my kids, or when my dad was talking to me, hey, Timmy, can you repeat what I just said? I wanna make sure you heard it right. I wanna make sure you got all the details. And here's Jesus and John speaking again, and he's, he's saying, look, I want you to hear me. He's full of grace and truth. In case we missed it the first time, grace and truth came through Jesus. So when it comes to truth, I think it's important for us to get these two things when it comes to truth. It can be extremely loving to speak truth to someone. It can also be extremely harmful to withhold truth from someone. Some people in your life need to hear truth. And they need to hear it from you. There are times in my life where I'm fine with conflict and there's times in my life where I'm like, ah, maybe someone else can do that. And for some of you, maybe you need to speak truth in love. You need to be honest with people and not just say, well, someone else will come along and say it. Well, maybe God has asked you to speak truth. You young people in this room, You're living in a world right now that has no clue what truth is. And you can boldly speak with authority based on God's word in love on what truth is. Not obnoxious, 
Not pushing people away, but in love. Paul helps us see the correlation of love and truth in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. So how do we grow as the body of Christ? Here's the formula. It's love became flesh. All the joints of the body hold together in the love of Jesus. Jesus addresses the law as well in verse 17. He states in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Paul backs this up in Romans 8, 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. So we have the fulfillment of truth. We also have the one who fulfilled the law. What the law couldn't do because it was weak, Jesus fulfilled. The law couldn't make us holy. It could point us to holiness, but it couldn't make us holy. But Christ came to fulfill the law. So the Old Testament, the law, it has an outline. It's kind of an outline for the coming Messiah. You think about this kind of as we wind our time down together. Think about the idea of an outline and what's to come, and it's showing what's to come. The gospel is more of the flesh of that outline. It's kind of like maybe some, some people in here are old enough to remember black and white TV, right? Some of you young people are like, what? There was TV that was only black and white? Yep. There were movies that were only black and white. There were even movies that didn't even have words, like Audible right? And pictures that were only black and white and then their color. Other things that you can use with that analogy. One of the analogies I thought of this week because I do this a lot for my son is uh, a picture and uh, he's into Ninjago and because he's into Ninjago, he loves to color. So he's always like, hey daddy, can you print this for me? Daddy, can you print this for me? So here I go printing out another page and it's pretty bland, right? It's black and white. I mean, he looks pretty cool. He looks like he's about to mess somebody up. But here he is, Ninjago, black and white. But then uh, I, I kind of had a little homework assignment for him as I was preparing uh, for this talk. I said, brought this page home and printed it off. I said, hey man, I want you to color this. Hey, color it. And so I said, I want you to lose lots of colors. And so he gets a big old tub of markers and he sits down at the kitchen table and there's the finished product. There it is in all its colorful glory. Owen artwork at its best, right? That's kind of how I'm picturing he's mentioning the law and he's mentioning the Old Testament. And we see that the Old Testament uh, had glimpses of Jesus, right? We see him in different ways. We see him in the fiery furnace. We see him represented in the serpent on the pole when the people had to look to be healed. We see him represented in different ways, crushing the head of the serpent in Genesis, But we see all these things pointing ahead to something. And so the people are confused a little bit. The people are wondering, like, what's next? What do you mean? The Messiah? Is he coming? When is he coming? Who is he going to be? What's he going to do? Is he going to set up shop? Is he going to be king? Is he going to overthrow the Roman government? All these things, we don't know. But then, but then, the story of Christmas. Then he comes in the flesh. 
He's made flesh and he's dwelled among us and all the black and white from the Old Testament all of a sudden is colorful. All of a sudden, it's really rich and it's deep. It's like 3D compared to 2D where it's like, here he is. It's Jesus, the one they've waited for for thousands of years. And here he is in the flesh, God's son. So love became flesh. Love had a witness that fulfilled the law. And lastly, love made God known to the world in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So why did he become flesh? Not just to show you guys how it's done. (laughs) All of us failures when it comes to being humans. Let me show you how it is to be a real human, okay? I got this. That's not the only reason why he came, although that is pretty cool. Why did he go to such great lengths to take on human nature, a human mind, human frailty? Well, 1 Peter 3.18 sums it up pretty clearly. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Why did he become human? Why did he come in the flesh? To bring us to God, to bring us into relationship with him so that we can talk with him, that we can get through these weaknesses and these sins of our lives and and see him for who he is, the power that he has. was for redemption and restoration for us, the body of Christ, the church. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We've talked about this over this series, the peace that comes from Jesus. We've talked about hope. We've talked about joy. And today it's about love. So what an amazing way to end our time together today to really focus on the essence of love. He became flesh, right? He had plenty of witnesses, not just John. He fulfilled every bit of the law. And lastly, he made God known to the world. So what I want us to do now is I want us to really let this time be a time of meditation. As we do each time, we finish with a song, but I really want you to think about this story Consider the words of this song from Charles Wesley. Just look at the words on the screen. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. For some of you in this room, maybe you're struggling because you've never really seen Jesus for who he is as God's son, the savior of the world. Maybe today can be that day, a week before Christmas, where you can mark it down, where you said, I'm trusting in him as my savior, as the one who can fulfill my life and give me new life and give me a relationship with God. Maybe some of you have 
not seen Jesus for who he is. Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you've gotten caught up in the things of the world and been distracted. Maybe your expectations are lower. Your expectations are wrong and misplaced. And you need to take some time today to get that straight and confess to God. Prepare your heart to celebrate in a proper way the coming king who not only came to earth once, but who is coming back again for those who believe. So I'd like us to stand together and make this a time as we sing, not just another carol, because those carols sometimes, I've sung them since I have known how to sing or known how to talk. Sometimes those words just go straight through me, over my head and out the door. Maybe for today, right now, you can take the time to really focus on what is being said, what you're singing. Because if you really think about these words, it'll blow your mind and it'll bring you to the Savior. So let's all sing that together today.
bless you and go in peace.